This episode of Crossing Broadcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure you sign up using the promo code CROSSINGBROAD. That's all one word, all caps, CROSSINGBROAD. And take advantage of their $1,000 sign-up bonus today for new users. And our friends over at Odd Logic Brewing Company, located at 500 Bristol Pike in Bristol, PA. And look, we love supporting local business. Odd Logic Brewing Company has been an excellent partner for us. And there have been a, a bunch of legal mandates handed down by the governor's office. But as of right now, Odd Logic Brewing Company is still offering takeout Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they were running a, uh, a really great deal. Buy any four cans of beer. Pick a mystery gift card. And the mystery gift cards uh, are range from 5 to $25. And they can be used once uh, things get back to normal. So go out, support your local brewery out in Bucks County, Odd Logic Brewing Company. Big thank you to them as always. And we, we hope that things continue to work out well for them on, on the other side once things get back to normal. This episode is wild, wide-ranging. We touch on a bunch of topics, including the way that the pandemic has uh, influenced the sports media landscape. But but we really do get into Philly sports here, addressing whether or not this actually helps some of the Philly teams. And, uh, of course, breaking down a bunch of the Eagles moves. So without further ado, let's get into Crossing Broadcast. Who salutes, but no one ever does. Oh, yes! Crossing broadcast. It's been a couple of weeks. I guess, can we call ourselves the Pandemic Podcast? You already we, did uh, that, Russ. As, as we stream from our respective basements, offices, closets. Welcome in. Join us. We won't be talking about the coronavirus much at all today. No. <laughs> you can go check out Kevin Kincaid's work on CrossingBroad.com, where he's been... Uh, wonderfully professionally updating the world on the coronavirus nothing Go, but, uh, nothing but amazing content there right he now. is kevin kincaid find him on twitter at kevin underscore kincaid kevin on a scale of one to ten how much do you care about the coronavirus uh well i mean as it pertains to just being safe and not doing anything stupid i would say a 10 but i mean as far as how it affects the the day-to-day it's not really <laughs> that's not change much of anything at all so a one Look, Let's go to Jersey's finest, Bob Wankel. You can find him on Twitter at Bob Wankel CB. Yeah, I'm quarantined down here in uh, my basement in West Deptford. Very exciting. Um, it's good to have some human contact that's uh, beyond my wife because um, that's I've about had it with that. We're at day eight there, so it's nice <laughs> to talk to you gentlemen. You've had it with your wife. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like she's great. We're actually we're we're doing a lot better than I thought we would at this point. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely nice to, to just talk to anybody else at this point. Yeah, cabin fever happens. You know? Yeah, yeah. You should have a kid. That'll make uh make everything better. <laughs> now we'll, we'll see. We'll see. And uh, over there, over there at the bottom on our screen that you can't see right now, Mister Happy himself, Anthony San Filippo. Find him on Twitter at Ant San Philly. I'm at the top of my screen. That's all that matters. Wow. Narcissist. And for those of you that don't know, Anthony doesn't believe that the coronavirus is real. That's um, not so true. We'll get to that in a little bit. That's not true. He was out at the bar at Philly the other night. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been on the be- actually, I've been on the beach in Florida. He uh, took the That's Flyers break. He took the Flyers break and he, he went down to, uh, to Florida. Twisting doorknobs and licking his hand. Yeah, he's been down on a uh, South Florida beach uh, with the baby oil out. So he was with the excited. spring breakers down there. But don't yeah. call them millennials; they're Generation Z. 
where I've been. Yeah. So uh, I'm like right, I'm like well, we got I'm a lot like of Kev- stuff to no, get into today. I, and, I'm like uh, Kevin on this thing. I think Anthony's audio is like way off from everybody else, so I'm already looking forward to editing this thing down. Um, well, I don't know where you guys want to start at because I, I think it, at this point there's coronavirus uh, fatigue where people don't want to listen to this kind of stuff anymore. So. Okay. <laughs> Dramatic pause. No, I, Bob, look at the numbers under Anthony's screen. Yeah, two, all, all yeah, this like nine, that he's yeah. he's gonna be like a full second behind us. I'm yeah, looking forward to this. I always knew excited. he had crappy internet in Delco. Oh, Anthony, th- go this ahead. Is me, Wait, where right? you, uh, this is me, right? you at with this? This is all me, right? Well, considering the fact that there are four of us and nobody else is having the same lag issues, yeah, it is you, fella. <laughs> okay, um, I'm where Kevin is on this. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, we need to do the things we need to do to, you know, to make sure that uh, we're washing our hands and, you know, self-isolating at the right time and doing the doing the right stuff. I think it's okay. I think that's fine. I think that we don't I don't think we need to panic like we've panicked. And that's where I disagree with, you know, the way things have gone to this point. Um, As far as how it's affected the sports world, I think that the sports world is handling it in some places well in other places not well. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Let me take the bait on this. So like, what, what do you think is the overreaction? Do you just mean like the hysteria, like in the news media or like oh how God. we're acting on social media? Or like, do you think like we shouldn't be closing down schools and businesses? No, no, and, no, no, no. I, like, I, I, I get it. But you see, the, the problem is, is that we overreacted real quick. Like there should have, there should have been steps that were taken. We, we ignored it and then we overreacted to it. So like we could have handled this a lot better from the beginning and then we wouldn't have been in the situation that we're in right now. Like a course correction, like you're swerving off the path and then you hit the wheel all the way in the other direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, that's kind of what, what happens here. In other words, if we would have addressed it from the beginning, this would have been no different than any other outbreak that we've had in the last, well, whatever, in the last 20 years. I mean, you go back to SARS, you go H1N1, bird flu, Ebola, Zika, all of them. We handled them differently, right? From the way, from the way we're handling this. Yeah. And I think that if we took that approach initially, and I get, you got to blame the you got to look at the government on this end, then we wouldn't have been in the situation we're in. But then because of <laughs> the situation that we have politically in this country, it was viewed at the beginning as an opportunity to get political about something. So we did. And in that process of that political activity, we overreacted to everything and every little thing. And we got to the point where we're at now where we're, we've shut down life for, you know, at least two weeks, three weeks, and then, you know, maybe a little bit longer. Well, it's hard to find the sweet spot, you know what I mean? Because you want to find a point where everybody's taking it seriously and everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, but you don't want to go so far to one end where you're just scaring the shit out of people and it's counterproductive, you know? Like, I don't think it helps to be going out and saying, Correct. well, we're not going to be we're not going to be doing anything until October. Well, you don't yes. fucking know that. Like, nobody fucking knows that. Did you that, see that, that Mac Brown today came out and said that he's a little bit concerned and there's, like a, there's some chatter amongst coaches that they're not entirely sure that there's going to be a college football season at this point? Yeah, like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that doesn't help 
anything like how could they possibly know that's that's months and months away like for them for people to like that to chime in and start saying things that doesn't help the situation you know you already have a bunch of people on twitter who think they're medical experts who are saying a bunch of a bunch of nonsense which is contributing to the problem too you know it's it's weird because like uh you know, to Anthony's point, like I remember when I was at Channel 3 and we would do snow coverage, you know, there's a big storm coming or something and we would just scare the crap out of people. They'd be like, don't go out, don't go out, don't do this, don't do this, whatever. And, you know, you'd scare the shit out of people and they'd become annoyed, but, you know, nobody was out on the streets and nobody was getting into car accidents and nobody was hitting other people and, and doing dumb stuff, you know. But the difference is, you know, it's not a one night or one weekend activity. You know, I mean, this is something that is extended for a while. So you can't. So that scare tactics of scaring the crap out of people has diminishing returns. You know, it doesn't mean anything after you do it the first four or five times. So well, I think there's like a balancing act. You got to try to find the middle. You know, to kind of keep this in focus with sports, I, I have a kind of a, a question just to pull you guys. And I mean, especially because Kev, you cover the Sixers, and, and Russ and Anthony, you guys are down there with the Flyers. Like, do you do you kind of if if you had to make a guess, and I obviously this is still way up in the air, but I mean, do you expect these seasons to resume at some point? Yeah, I do. I, I think the way that it's going to happen is, is where the – I think the leagues are going to vary because I think for the NHL, there's a real escrow issue that we're going to probably get into over on Snow the Goalie. But, like, to me, the the way that, that players are compensated in the NHL versus how they're compensated in the NBA I think are, are a little bit different, and also the base salaries for both are, are very different. Um I, I wouldn't be surprised if the NBA bails on the rest of the regular season and just goes straight into a tournament style or goes straight to the playoffs. But I do think that hockey, by virtue of the point system and, and the escrow issue, are probably going to look at trying to get either up to 82 games or get everybody onto the same, like let's say the, the league sets, you know, everybody's got to play 75 games and then we're going to go from there. And what do you but, think that looks like in terms of a timeline? Are we talking like mid July, late July, into August? You know, well, no. there's have to be Russ, that, you with hockey first. There, there's going to have to be that period where guys are getting back into game shape. You would think. I mean, for NBA or for, well, I mean, you, you go across a bunch of leagues here, right? Because MLS, for as much as people don't, you know, don't care, they were four games into their season, and and now they're off the NHL and the NBA like these guys are I mean they're probably happy to to get a little bit of Hello. of time to rehab and to just kind of rest after a, a long grueling regular season but like I don't know I I don't know what this is going to look for the like I would think that June like maybe the end of June is when they try to get you know people going but but July I mean seems really late yeah, I mean, what was the bet that I made with Kyle? I think I said like June first was my guess. That's a random guess that we might be playing sports like in, without fans. You know, look if they were going to step into this incrementally and they were going to say, look, no media in the locker rooms. Okay, now no fans in the stadiums or the arenas or something like that. Then wouldn't you incrementally step out of it? You know, like if these NBA players are all getting tested anyway, and all the staffers are getting tested and whatever. Uh, then you try to emulate what UFC did at their fight night two weeks ago, and you say, all right, we only have essential personnel down here. We'll start playing again. And then as the thing gets better, you gradually reintroduce uh, non-essential personnel. Like, I think that's probably how it would happen. You know, I don't think you're going to go straight from everybody sitting in their house doing nothing to all of a sudden we're back to packed arenas again. Like, I think it would probably be like a like a, a step-by-step phase. Doesn't that make sense? You know, I, I've actually yeah. talked to a couple people on the baseball side of things, and you know, by no means am I saying that anybody has this firm or they truly know, but, you know, 
I think that that the target date for the start of baseball is starting to look more like mid-June, you know, and maybe even pushing July at this point. Like, I, I think that there's a real skepticism that this is going to be a 30-day or a 45-day delay where you're looking at mid-May even. So it's it's just insane to me, and I think baseball obviously will have to make adjustments. You might be looking at a 100-game schedule or something that's condensed. I know that there was some talk about them possibly playing into deep November, December, but... I don't foresee the 162-game schedule in baseball at this point. And, and the more I talk to people, the more it's starting to sound like we're on this trajectory where we're going to look at like a almost like an early summer. Like, and, and to me, like I have to say, like I, I've kind of always respected what this thing could be, but I, I did not foresee that type of delay initially when they broke spring training last week. And uh, it, it just – it doesn't seem great. You well, know, what the way if that they, this thing's heading? Well, let me let me ask you this. Like, if so, say this thing. Let's just pick like an arbitrary date. Like, say June first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what if they just picked up? Say that they just picked up the Phillies, the MLB schedule from June first, and just took off from there. Uh, the complications are what? Like, you probably missed divisional. Yeah, your divisional games other are, are completely out of whack, I would imagine, at that point. So do like, you just pick it up on the front end and then just try to like wipe out some of the series with non-divisional teams towards the back end of the schedule and just try to balance it out so you have division winners that make sense? You may have, I mean, yeah, I think I think that you actually have to kind of keep the integrity of the schedule intact as much as you possibly can, only because... Now, obviously, you book these flights, you book these hotels, you make accommodations. You you can't just completely uproot the schedule and start with a blank slate on, let's say, June fifteenth, right? Like, you have to you have to keep the schedule somewhat intact. Now, I'm sure they can tweak it, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't think – I mean, certainly Major League Baseball is going to have to consider, hey, did everybody play X amount of the same division games? You know, these are things that you're going to have to to have be uniform across the board. And I, I don't envy that position because, again, there's no protocol for this. We just haven't – we haven't seen anything like this. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's a mess. And I, I have to say, like – I hope I hope we have baseball this year. I hope we have a hundred yeah. game season because I don't know with and I know that this sounds preposterous because you guys are talking about the NBA resuming play, the NHL is going to come back, but I, I don't know that you could say with any definitive certainty that this is definitely going to happen at this point. Yes, yeah, so, I mean it's different for the NBA and the NHL because you know they should be starting the playoffs pretty much in a couple weeks from now. So I don't know, like theoretically with the NBA and the NHL, maybe just wipe out the rest of the. Uh, the regular season just start on the playoffs or you know another solution that you could do is you could just pick up right where you left off with the schedule push the entire schedule back like two months and then just cut regular season games off the front of next year you know like i would rather see you know the eight like the think the sixers had 18 remaining games i'd rather see them play their final 18 games so let's play the playoffs uh in full and then go until september if we have to and then uh, just start the next season in December and play like a shortened season and then get yourself back turned around so that you're playing the play, starting the playoffs in April. Like, I think I would rather do that. Like, get rid of um, as many meaningless games as possible, you know? So I think, that, I think that's a likely thing for the NBA, Kev. I, I don't think that's what's going to happen in the NHL. So what would you do if, if you were well, the commission? There's you were a betting. difference between what I would do and what they're going to do. I mean, they, they want a full 82-game season in 2020, 2021. I mean, they came out and said it. I mean, assist, you know, the assistant commissioner, Bill Daly, came out and said that. Um, so whatever the NHL decides to do is going to lead into a, a full season that starts in October. Um, you know, that's their plan. 
they're meeting. Uh, they met today, rather, um, and uh, they're trying to they're trying to figure out. There's a lot of things they're trying to figure out uh, how this is going to work. But I, I, you know, I really believe that the NHL will come back and play, whether they do a um, a full playoff. Uh, seven game se- four rounds of seven game series. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that they're going to do a bastardized version of the playoffs. Um, but I think that that's that's a more likely scenario. Um, you know, just something. You know, maybe a few more teams, shorter shorter rounds. Um, that way, you let the teams in that were fighting for a playoff spot. And maybe they have to play like a play in round kind of thing, preliminary round. Yeah, um, and then shorter. Like the the quarterfinal round will probably be a five game series instead of seven, and then when you get to the semifinals, you get to the you know that that's when you'll start that seven game series. Maybe that takes you into July, um, and then you have a, a shortened off season, and then you you kick it right up again in October. So here's the other kind of big question. I don't know what this is like in the hockey world, but you know, two of the Sixers players have coronavirus, and uh, another another staffer does. I was told it's a doctor. I was told it's two players and a doctor. So. Uh, a radio host so, came out this morning and complained about it, saying, well, why don't we know who these people are? And, uh, you know, like, obviously, HIPAA laws govern that you, you know, the med- medical information is private, right? Um, so, you know, you get into this issue here of, uh, okay, you've got p- protected uh, medical information for these people. Most of the people who have this thing just you know, go into self-quarantine or they get tested and they go to the hospital, right? Now, there's this other question of, I'll give you like uh, Tom Hanks and Idris Elba, for example, right? They came out and they went on Twitter and they said, we have this thing, blah, blah, blah. We're going to f- get tested and we're in self-isolation, right? So I, maybe there is kind of a question here. I mean, just humor me for a minute. Like if you're a Sixers employee or if you're like an usher or a you know security guard or somebody who would have come into contact with Sixers players during that Detroit game uh what is the solution for them uh so that you're being fair and telling them what's going on versus giving these Sixers players their privacy I was told that the Sixers called those people who were in like the immediate vicinity of the players and the doctor and said hey just so you know three of our people tested positive we're checking in on you do you have symptoms? Are you feeling a certain way? Blah, blah, blah. And I was told they checked in with those people a couple of times. They didn't call us in the media because we were barred from the locker room and we were barred from that back area anyway. So we wouldn't have been close to Joel Embiid or Al Horford or Ben Simmons or whoever, right? Um, so it's kind of this interesting idea of like if other people could be compromised from this, do HIPAA laws, you know, how much are we holding on to this privacy thing if we're talking about the, the privacy and the health of one person versus infecting like 10 other people? And going from there, you know. I think that they really should let anyone who was even close know, hey, this this is you, – you, you don't have to know who the player is, but, like, you know, you should, go, you should go get checked out. And I think that includes you guys. In all honesty, even though you were barred from the locker room that night, I mean, you know, where were you on Tuesday? Well, we were at practice, and after practice, they brought us out to the front, uh, like the front reception area, and there's like a desk there. So there's, you know, it's like a reception desk, right? So we stood on one side of the reception desk. Josh Richardson, Al Horford, Brett Brown, and I think it was Shake Milton stood on the other side, and we were like six feet away. Um, yeah. But I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like they didn't call us and say, hey, just so you know, like, you know, two of our guys 
this and one other guy this. You know, we just got the press release like everybody else did. So right, so that's, that's, did, what yeah. that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. You don't have to say who the players are. Yeah, but yeah. you should let anyone know who was conceivably around them. Because I mean, you assume that they caught the coronavirus the night of the Detroit game, but it had been going around for what? I mean, a couple weeks before that, and it does, yeah. you know, it, the, yeah. the the incubation period is two to three weeks, you know, and you could be carrying it around and, and not be sick and stuff like that. I mean, Well, they were they on sh- the West Coast. Yeah, they were on the West Coast, and there were reporters who were in there in the locker room with right. them, like Derek Bodner, and I think Derek Bodner was on the West Coast trip. Uh, Serena Winters would have been in the locker room, too. I mean, and there are more cases on the West Coast, I think, at that point than anywhere. So, like, would you give them a phone call? I don't know. It's all theoretical kind of things, but it's interesting to yeah. uh, to think about, you know? For sure. Do you think that so the, do you think that all of this helps? Like, I know that this is, like, in the grand scheme of things, so trivial, but, like, Kevin, let me ask you, do you think that this delay is going to help the Sixers? I mean, certainly you can't make an argument that it helps the Flyers as well as they were playing, but the, the Sixers were hot trash before this happened. I mean, is there any possibility that, hey, this is a good reset for them, and when they come back, you know, they, they should be better than they are, and maybe they'll realize that? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, Ben Simmons was you know, the, the night of the Detroit game. They put him out in front of us before the game, and we got our first update on his back injury in a long time. So now he's got an extra however long it is to rest. Uh, Brett Brown's probably feeling pretty good that he's not really a topic that's being ta- talked about right now. You know, wouldn't that be the ultimate irony if the coronavirus saved Brett Brown's job? <laughs> you know, after seven years, um, it's probably th- the only thing they can at this point. But you think about all the other athletes too. I mean, even you guys with the Flyers. I mean, like who who had injuries? JVR, uh, Thompson had an injury. Nolan Patrick, um, Phil Myers, he, Phil Myers. Even for the Phillies, I mean, does this help? McCutcheon, um, McCutcheon um, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think he needs surgery, but I think beyond injuries, the thing that that helps the Phillies is twofold. Number one, yeah, like you get Andrew McCutcheon back, and maybe this shortens the wait for guys like you know Spencer Howard and Alec Bohm and all that. But beyond that, in baseball, the the more you can shorten the sample, the more likely it is an inferior team can kind of hang around and make hay. And, and the, the the Phillies, to me, in that division are, are clearly the third or fourth best team. So the more you condense that schedule, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to have this conversation, but I, I actually think it helps the Phillies. I agree with Bob on that. I does do. It, I think it, it really helps them. Does it bother anybody that the testing is available at will for all these athletes, but like the general public still cannot get a test if they want to get one? Yeah, it does. Of it course. bothers me a lot. It, it, it really bother bothers everybody. Me yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it just it's the same old, same old though. If you if you've got money, you know where to go to get what you need to get, you know, and and that's just not right. That's so all. I, no, I, I was bothered. I was bothered by it in the NBA, but you know, they're all testing. Like every league is testing. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I guess theoretically, I'm trying to think of a silver lining with that, and it kind of goes back to the idea that I shared earlier. If like all these NBA players have been tested, and all these NBA staffers have been tested, and they get the all clear then maybe they can go back to work sooner or we can do the empty stadium thing. And then while everybody else is doing their social distance, these guys go play in the freaking Wells Fargo center with 20 other people there. And at least we get that going again. 
you yeah. know, and then you get the DraftKings like, and FanDuel going again, and you get all this other stuff going. So maybe if you can if you can start sectors of the economy with people who have been cleared and who have already got this testing, and we can keep them isolated in their own way, then maybe we can kind of like like st- you know, it's like you don't start a like a nuclear reactor up. You don't press a button and the whole fucking thing starts up at once, right? I mean, I've never fired up a nuclear reactor, but I'm just kind of like <laughs> that's how like, I would imagine it to be if I did. You just it, watch Chernobyl? Is that what that was? But like you, you know, you, you flick. Used, you used flick to live this, near the Limerick. Uh, Nuclear power, plants, nuclear so power plant, yeah. born, yeah, right. born and radiated, right? Um, you yeah. you pull up one like lever and that thing turns on, and then you pull up this other lever and another thing turns on, and then you get the whole thing started. Like I feel like incrementally we can kind of like go step by step and, and get back to normal. We're not just gonna like snap our fingers and society is back to normal, you know? Yeah, it's gonna take a long time. Here, here's the question though. So if like let's just imagine that the Sixers opt to to or the the league as a whole opts to go to empty games or to empty stadium games or they play at practice facilities because it's easier to maintain like ha, what does the testing look like for that because the the FDA had cleared a test that could get a result within 45 minutes is the idea here that you're going to have every player before every game along with every trainer every coach and anybody who's going to touch anything in the building get tested before they start the game and are you going to do that before every game and are you going to do that before every practice because like at some point you have to think that like it's one thing for a team like when the uh the jazz got tested i think it was yeah it was the jazz when they got tested i guess on their way or no sorry it was the nets the nets got tested after they were leaving san francisco yeah um like that's one thing to have 58 tests go out to those players and and trainers and everything but if you're now going to compound that and and have that be before every game every practice and everything you're going to have hundreds of tests thousands of tests across the league that are going to be getting used while there are people in cities and people in rural towns that don't have access to to a single one yeah where you're going to have entire you know retirement communities and and nursing homes well right i mean where, you're where just... these people aren't going to have access and yet the the league is going to somehow flaunt that their players are are getting tested in the name of making sure everybody's safe like that's bs you no, know what people I mean? would so, be like, pissed I, off about that yeah and i mean like that's fur- why I think furthermore that, that's you why couldn't... i think that proposal of, of of empty arena stuff is just so hard to wrap to wrap my head around because i i don't see uh, unless there's a mass availability of testing to the entire watching public viewing public i don't know how you get away with doing you know the the kind of testing that would have to be done to get a pro league back up and running well it just uh, you would july you'd be working under the assumption that once everybody got tested the first time and went into self-isolation that they took the precautions that they needed to stay you know clean but of course you can't monitor whether spencer dinwiddie went down to the corner grocery store and then got the covid19 from somebody down there so yeah i mean if you could if, if the situation was perfect where you only had to do the one test and then everybody was in the clear and then you say all right let's go play that'd be fine but like you say you know you probably have to test everybody you know every time they did it and then you have foment unrest with other people so yeah i don't know maybe it's a pipe dream the but, only uh, i mean in fairness the only nba player that anybody knows the whereabouts of over the weekend was jamal murray so i like i i don't know this <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty bad. I woke up the other morning and was I was like, horrible. why is this uh why is this trending on Twitter? And then trending? I clicked on yeah, the thing and I was good. like, Well, don't you know. don't do that. If you have kids in the car, don't don't search for that on Twitter. Well it seems but, like um, um it seems like uh content and stories have been okay thus far. The Philadelphia Inquirer like temporarily temporarily re- reassigned some of their guys to uh, like news in the meantime, which makes sense. You know, I mean, there's no sports. There's nothing for, you know, how many sports people they have, 15 people. There's nothing for 15 people to write about. I mean, NFL free agency was a boon for that for that first week. You know, and everybody was writing about, 
Malcolm Jenkins and Hargrave and Nick Foles and all that stuff, but eventually that's going to dry up. But, uh, I mean, so far so good. I don't think we're scraping the bottom of the barrel yet. You know, there's enough. Well, okay, so so since this show also not only talks about sports but the media surrounding them, so, okay, you talked about the Inquirer. Let's talk about the Athletic because I feel like there have been, I don't know, months, uh, over a year now, where people have questioned at what point does that bubble burst. I mean, they, they were not only poaching people from all of the traditional newspapers, but we saw Kevin and I obviously have noticed the fact that, like, they went international. They were poaching the best soccer writers out of the U.K. to cover the EPL. Now, all of a sudden, with sports being on a total halt, uh, even including the Turkish Superliga, um, <laughs> unless you're going to, like, go throw down bets on Belarus soccer, like, there's not a whole lot going on right now. And the question has to come up, like, how does the athletic that's already millions in debt at this point by design, how do they survive this? Can a subscription model sports site like that survive? Well, they're not raising any. I mean, it's not like, you know, their subscriptions are already paid for, you know, and they have these rounds of fundraising. You know, it's just I think the question is, like, if people are looking for to if people are pinched and they're looking to cut costs, what's one of the first things that you're going to cut? You know, it's probably like yep. your subscription, your digital subscription to the athletic or the, or the, uh, inquire or whatever, you know, I mean like that's, it's what we do is very non-essential, you know, most of our income is obviously baked into, uh, the gambling sites and whatnot. So that's a different revenue model, but the athletic to your point, they're doing 90, what 90 days free or something like that. Is that what, what I'm seeing online right now? Um, but you know, and there's even a story that came out, um, in the Washington post a couple of weeks before that, where we were saying, where one guy was saying, you know, we might the future of the athletic might be a sale, you know? So I, I don't, you know, we can, we, yeah. we get by by doing all the like, you know, Malcolm Jenkins wrote a letter to the players tribune or, you know, this guy yeah. called this guy a motherfucker or Stu Bykovsky is suing Inga Saffron, you know, and saying that it's a sack of shit lie, you know, like we, we do that kind of stuff, but the athletic isn't getting by on that either. But at the same time, like they don't have to make, you know, their, their income is, you know, getting new people to sign up. So of course, you know, subscriptions aren't going to be happening right now, but I feel like everybody who was interested probably already signed up in the first place. Right. Like I, I feel like that's kind of, I, I guess I'd be interested to see what their, what their balance sheet looks like. You know, I guess it's like a yes or no though. Right. Because like you would think that with the NBA and, and NHL coming down the stretch towards a, a postseason run, you would start to think that the kind of feverish frenzy that, that goes on, around playoff time maybe you're somebody who's either lapsed got rid of their subscription or or you know happened to see something on twitter that caught your eye and then decided to to sign up for it that at least bit of of revenue is gone anybody who would have signed yeah. up for soccer coverage with the mls season like that's gone you know what i mean so i i kind of wonder i mean i i don't wish ill on anybody over there like i think that there are some really nice people that that I've interacted with from the athletic and well, obviously a, I mean, I mean, it's somebody's livelihood. So like, I, I don't want to see it fail. I just have to ask the question like, yeah, I know it's, can it's, they, it's, can, can, can they survive it? And, I think we're and all, if kind so, of what thinking, does it look like? We're all kind of thinking when something like this happens, how essential are we? You know I mean? I guess it's kind of reassuring if you're like a nurse or a doctor or somebody who works at the, the Port Richmond IGA or something like that to know that what you do for a living is essential and that people, uh, need your services. But at the same time, there's another layer of like, can your job be done during a crisis? You know, and so everybody who's able to work from home, you know, my wife sits on one end of the table. I sit at the other end of the table. We work from home together. Um, so we're able to, to do our jobs, you know, even though they are 
not considered essential. You know, so that's another thing there. Yeah. I see Mike Jarek and Alex Holly are sitting like 15 feet apart from each other. She's got a camera on her on the couch, and he's got a camera on him at the desk. And you got John Marks at WIP who's like broadcasting from his closet. His closet, you know, for yeah. Remote, you know, so everybody's trying to like do something in a different way. I mean, and I, I, it's cool to see that people are doing like these rewatches and, you know, Kyle Newbeck had a good idea to go and like rewatch the 2001 NBA finals. And, you know, uh, you know, here's my top 10 list of, uh, you know, all time Sixers. And here's my Mount Rushmore of blah, blah, blah. And that stuff's all good. And I think people are being creative. I just think there's a shelf life on that kind of stuff. You know, it's probably, you, know, you can probably only give people so probably another so, week or two. Yeah, I think you can only give them so much of like looking back and like pulling stuff out of our out of our butts, you know. But I mean, we'll we'll try. But uh, you just it, it's it's different. It's a different stress point for different revenue models, you know. So I mean, it's kind of hard to compare all of them. But no, nobody should nobody should want to nobody should want to see the athletic fail or have trouble or anything because you know it's a big experiment and taking a lot of really good writers and trying to put them into this revenue model. You know, if that if that model fails. Uh, because of a virus, then number one, we don't really get to see whether it was viable or not on its own. And if it fails in at any point, then it's like, well, shit, is anybody going to risk trying that again? Yeah. And thoughts? I, well, I agree with Kevin. I mean, I, you know, the athletic is what it is. And, uh, you know, we know a lot of good people there. <laughs> a lot of good people that are there. I mean, yeah. I. A lot of guys that I used to, you know, when I was traveling around the NHL, and a lot of those great writers in every city all work for the Athletic, and you know, they're friends of mine, and I don't want to see them go under. I don't want to see them lose jobs. Um, and, and Kevin's right, man. You know, I know that I've made fun, made fun of the Athletic, not the people, but the the process for the Athletic a little bit in the past, but it was never done in a way that I wanted to see it fail because you know we had a coronavirus right I mean I that that was not that's not fair to them um so you know it's it's I want to I want to see it survive this and then and then see what happens yeah with Mm -hmm. with it afterwards well there's always that's that's more interesting to me than oh it failed you know kind of like the XFL right (laughs) yeah XFL's gone now right um, Although what's his face just got signed by the Carolina Panthers today? Yeah, yeah, he's with the Panthers back with Matt Rule again. Good for Pretty him, man. Stuff. Yeah, he had yeah. he was five and zero, oh, man. I think he had like fifteen touchdowns and like four interceptions or something like that. Um, he was always a little undersized too, you know. I mean that that Temple year in twenty fifteen when they beat uh, Penn State and they went like seven and zero oh, and then they lost to Notre Dame. Uh, on Halloween night, like he, he, uh, I think all that year only had like 18 touchdowns and like eight interceptions or something like that. But Temple ran the shit out of the ball uh, with Jihad Thomas and Tyler Matakevich was still on that defense and whatnot. And so they were very much a Matt rule team that liked to run and play defense back then. But those are great stories, man. I mean, I think we were all kind of like excited to like, see, Hey, you know, can these XFL guys, you know, turn this into another chance at the NFL, you know? So I'm looking forward to see, you know, because Cam Newton's not going to be there next year. You know, they got they went out and got Bridgewater. Um, Will Greer is still there, you know. So kind of interested to see where they go with that. But one final point uh, on the athletic, you know, it's like I think when Alex Mather, who was their CEO, came out like however many years ago it was, and he said, like, we're going to steal all the newspaper writers and we're going to bleed them dry or something like that. That just did so much damage. Uh, to them, hard, yeah, yeah, it just it just like irreparably damaged them because I think it stuck them with this kind of uh, 
um, cutthroat. This this stigma that like they felt like they were better than everybody else, you know. And I don't get that vibe from like ninety percent of their writers, but from like ten percent of their writers, I do kind of get the vibe that they think they're a little bit smarter, a little bit better, a little bit more important than everybody else, so that they do better work than every well, you know, everybody. You, you know, know what it is? You know what it is, Kev? As someone who you know, and you know, being on the beat, but as some, like I was one of those guys who was you know there. 10 months of the year traveled all over the place every yeah. you know to every little thing like i did that and so what you see when you when 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 you have that is it, to me they're getting they're able to do some of the things like we always wanted to do but newspapers were limited right so you mm-hmm. you, you couldn't do some of the stories the way you that the athletic allows you to do it you couldn't write the most the, the more honest quote, right? You couldn't put the you couldn't put the the f bombs. You couldn't you couldn't put the stuff in that, that guys were saying, mm-hmm. um, and you couldn't you couldn't really do like a nice long form piece where you could really talk to a guy and get to know him and right, and, right, and right. really kind of tell the story in that facet. So that's what makes the that's what makes what the athletic does cool in in some ways. And I think that what ends up being is I think that that 10% that you're talking about is walking around like their shit don't stink because <laughs> because they can they are doing something that we we all wanted to do we just weren't allowed to do it so like I I get I get annoyed by those people because it's like dude we can all do that we just don't have we haven't been in a, you know in the medium that we where we are allowed to do that yeah and so you don't just, think like don't think like you're better than everybody because of no it. and you just have different roles too like if you're like writing for the athletic you don't have to do the story about like um you know ian report colon ian rapaport says blah 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 you know like that's something that we do because we're like you know let's get something up right away and let's get some clicks let's get some eyeballs on this let's get some clicks they don't have to do that because that's not part of their revenue model it's not part of their site traffic model um but you know it's interesting when they closed when they announced that they were going to close down the locker rooms uh, mlb nhl mls and uh uh, the NBA said that we're going to close our locker rooms to the media. Ninety percent of the people who are complaining were athletic people because they're a lot of what they do is predicated on doing, like you said, doing things that other people aren't doing, which is like chatting with people at the locker room, doing these interesting like personal features and long, long form stories and stuff like that. And those those people too hold the the institution of sports journalism at a much higher standard than somebody like me. Like I just think I'm a I don't think I'm a journalist. I think like journalism is what like Peter Arnett did, like reporting from Baghdad and Vietnam. Like I just think I'm a sports writer, right? Um, you know, long gone are the days of Phil Jasner where he would sit there and talk to Allen Iverson for like twenty minutes after a game. Like it just doesn't happen, at least in the NBA. It probably happens a lot more with the NHL with you guys, but NBA players aren't like that anymore. But a lot of sure. it too is kind of predicated on how you view the industry. Like do you walk around and think you're just writing about sports or you want to break down a game? Uh, maybe have a couple good quotes from somebody, or do you think you're like Jim Acosta trying to fight for everything that's right in the world? You know, I mean, like we we all treat we all treat, not to say that one thing is right or one thing is wrong, but we all treat kind of like sports writing, sports journalism in a different way. And I think you would put the athletic writers at one end of that spectrum, you know? Yeah, and, and I think that I think that you're right. And when you make a comparison, and you know, this is where hockey and Russell, I think Russell will agree with me. This is where hockey's stuck in the in the you know Stone Age. In the sense that everything is is still you know the the mantra of the media for for hockey is we have to do it the way it's always been done, mm-hmm. you know and punch me in and, the head. Well, no, it's the truth. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's no, it's, I, I'm, it goes yeah, I'm not it goes down to the you. way just, people dress. Like you yeah. know, we yeah. right. I mean that, that every that other writer is, 
that's the most is, upsetting part. Every other writer is, besides us is there in a suit. In a freaking like, suit. Like, why? And, and by the way, there, th- this is, okay, <laughs> let, me, let me just take a moment. There's only one other person that I can think of off the top of my head who doesn't dress like that. And I and and I appreciate him. He's also a younger guy and he he really works more on the online presence for a, a major outlet. Um, but aside from him and me and Anthony, everybody's in a suit and it gets kind of annoying because it's like there there is no reason to. There's right. none there. There is. There is nothing if you're, about if you're on TV and, and it's a requirement that, for, for that, TV, fine. Yeah, or if you the work for or if you work for a team and you're an executive, yes. fine. Right. But there is nothing about that job that requires you to wear a suit. There, hell, there's nothing about it that requires you to wear a tie, right? I mean, the the right. I I could see the rationale of saying like, hey, you know, wear khakis or something. Like maybe wear a shirt that has a collar or like wear a sweater or something. Fine. Mm-hmm. But because yeah, you're rep- you're representing your company, sure. So you don't like, want to be there I, I on a get T-shirt, if like, right? You know, don't don't like schlep around in a, a T-shirt, sneakers, and jeans for every game, right? So it, it I, I get that, but like the the concept of wearing a suit to these games is silly, and it's just because that's how it's been done. Anthony has like the whole explainer story of of why, yeah, yeah. but but it's it's silly to me, and it's kind of nonsensical. And like I bring it up with other people who are you know, my age, who are late 20s, early 30s, who are there and are wearing suits. And, like, some of them are like, well, I just like wearing the suit and, you know, I, I kind of feels like I'm, you know, it's a little important. It's it's a little bit better than, you know, wearing sweatpants all day or whatever. And, and I get that. But, like, it's it's an unnecessary step. And to me, it's just kind of, like, silly and antiquated. Yeah, I mean, right, and, that's you, where, if, and it starts there. If you, if you, as long as you don't look like a schlub, I think you're good. You know, I don't, I don't think that wearing a suit says that you're any more intelligent or professional than anybody else you know at the end of the day either you know what the fuck you're doing or you don't know what the fuck you're doing you know and like right. wearing a suit doesn't doesn't change that one way or the other i was also on the side Kevin's of the argument so happy that, to be off the radio so you can drop f-bombs now i know i feel like juvenile <laughs> but it just comes naturally to me um and i think the other thing too is like i i've always argued that i'm not a locker room guy like i've always kind of had this idea that like i think it's different in the nhl too because you guys don't have pregame locker room right um, there's no pregame locker room per se, but uh, there is pregame coach access. And if you want to grab a player pregame, you have to make a request, and it has to be done at a certain time because they have pre. Hockey uh, has like these crazy, this crazy schedule where there's mm-hmm. pregame meetings, and they're set at the same exact time. Okay. Every right. every game for both teams. So like you really you can't be in that window you have to be before that window well i don't i yeah i mean i'm not a locker room person like i i've always been of the belief that i don't feel like the media belongs there like i feel like it's a space for them to prepare for a game especially pre-game i don't feel like you know yeah guys who are getting their ankle wrapped they're like listening to music they're trying to get in the zone mentally i don't think we need to be there asking them dumb shit uh after the game okay maybe i get it but i still feel like it's a space for them I've always been fine with mix zone. I've done a lot of mix zone, doing international soccer. I don't have a problem with it. Um, I'm not advocating for less availability. I'm just fine doing it in a different place. And, like, look, to that point, like, a lot of people were complaining, like, well, if you take away the locker room access now, we're never going to get it back. Well, look, I mean, it's just a temporary thing. I understand. But, yes, yeah, okay, maybe at times they say, okay, we never need to do this again. But, look, I'm not a locker room guy, but I would, I would join forces with the athletic writers if they, you know, tried to, like, lobby to get locker room access back if they tried to take it away. I don't think you should try to take any availability away from anybody. I just 
you know, it, it just ended up. It was it was funny how irrelevant that ended up being when the when every season for every sports team got shut down and like for a minute they're like Les Bowen and everybody else was complaining about like shutting down the locker room forever and how oppressive it was. You know, it yeah. reminds me that takes me back to and it, and it it was funny because back then I remember the media banding together. Um, Kev, I don't know if you remember that. I, I'm sure Russ won't remember because he was too young, but. Uh, it was, I think it was nine, uh, 2000, maybe 2001. It was before the, the, the they closed the vet and built the link in, in Citizens Bank because it was um, right after the game, the preseason game was canceled uh, between the Eagles and the Ravens. Because of the turf. The turf was crazy. Because of the turf, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so the, they put new turf in the vet. And the Eagles had a closed practice on that turf in the vet. Mm-hmm. And they said no media is allowed to come in to the practice because I guess they were just trying to make sure that they were cool with the turf. Well, I guess what had happened was the Daily News and uh, Comcast sent uh, a video camera guy and a photographer up in a helicopter <laughs> And she, and went over the vet, it's such an eagle thing, p- yeah. and took the pic and just took pictures and shot videos. Say, oh look, the Eagles are practicing on their new turf. It, it was like a ten second thing, whatever. And there was a photo in the Daily News the next day. The Eagles banned them from practice. So when we, I, I used to, this is when I was covering the Eagles mm-hmm. for AP. I show up and all of a sudden, unlike any other day when you get to Novacare, there's a security guard at the gate and says, "Who are you with?" And, like, if you were with either the Daily News or Comcast at the time, they were not letting you into the building. So the rest of us got in, and they weren't. So, like, I can remember at the time, like, Marcus was not allowed in, and a couple other people were not allowed in. And, and we were like, this is this is bullshit, man. Like, you can't yeah. do this. Yeah. You can't decide who gets to cover you and who doesn't. Well, what was their, <laughs> what was their rationale for doing that in the first place? Why, did, why didn't they want anybody there? Because they closed the practice and to the media, and then these two – media outlets went against their order. no no but i mean like what were they trying to hide like did they not want to did they think the turf was not ready yet or something like yeah they they might not have they i mean that was the thing like i mean i wasn't 100 percent sure what the what the oh, okay. real rationale was yeah but maybe it was again it was the first time because there was some embarrassment for the eagles with that whole thing happening yeah yeah um so i i think Lori was really and banner were really kind of you know ultra sensitive about it and so therefore it was you know they were they were negotiating with the city at the time for the the new stadium and there was a lot of real you know touchy sensitive situations and i think that okay we're going to test this new turf now yeah nobody come in and uh, oops daily news and and comcast do come in uh we're gonna that's it you guys are done we're not letting you cover the team you know it's like you know you know it's funny too is like you know with the locker room access i think a lot of like I don't mean to be like stereotypical here, but I think it's probably true. But like a lot of newspaper writers and a lot of old school writers who have always done things by the book, uh, they live in like a world of quotes, you know, post-game quotes, pre-game quotes. We're going to write off the coach's quotes and stuff like that. And, you know, that kind of cuts off their supply, you know, if they don't have access to that. And you're going to kind of find out in the next couple of weeks, like who's good at their job and who's not good at their job. Because, you know, if, if you have to crutch off of quotes to write anything, then you're probably not that good in the first place. You know, I mean, you look at like what they do at Liberty Ballers and some of the other blogs out there and even what Kyle was doing with no access for the longest time. Uh, you can break down a game without any quotes. You can write interesting columns without quotes. You can do film yeah. breakdowns without quotes. You know, it's like 
you know, I think the whole complaint about the locker room is that they're not, people aren't going to get anything unique because uh, you can get your bullshit. Like, you know, how do you think you guys played tonight? Did you muck and grind? You can get that at the podium. Right. You know, well, this is, yeah. this is, this is where I was heading yeah. with the, t- with the talk about how it's very antiquated in the, you know, in the NHL, it starts with the suits, but it's, it goes on from there. Like everything is so pack journalist oriented, so structured there's no opportunity to talk to players one on one. It used to be you walked into the locker room and you talked to whoever you wanted. Like there was no, all right, this guy and everybody surrounds him. Oh, this guy, everybody surrounds him. Yeah, there were a couple players that were probably going to get, you know, uh, multiple ca- you know, multiple cameras and stuff because they were, you know, scored the game winning goal or whatever the case might have been. Mm-hmm. But there was always a guy just kind of hanging out of his locker and you went over and talked to him. It's just you and him for for 15 minutes and that was great. But the the fact is is that now everything is so controlled. It, the, the whole message is controlled. Everything is controlled. Yeah. yeah. And the and media, ha- they've allowed it to happen because yeah. this is how we do it. This is how it's done. It's true. It's true. It's very regimented. Yeah, it's a different world. I mean, and then you have your own personal motivations too. Like, do I, you know, I mean, at the same time, we're all competitors too. So if somebody's restricted from one thing or if the theme of media availability is a certain thing that does help some people and does hurt some people, um, we always have done okay because we're not, you know, we're not the athletic and we don't, you know, need to have those original unique stories to kind of stand out and ju- make us justified, you know, justify a subscription. Right. Um, but yeah, it is kind of a pack mentality, especially in the NBA too, where like nobody really does anything in the locker room anymore. And you don't get any good quotes in the locker room. And they're very like leery of the media to begin with. Uh, it's very standoffish. So I don't know. I think that's I more say of that, that, like, what it is. You know? I, I genuinely do miss the, the, the locker room access because of, the way that I getting quotes is one thing and that's fine. And I get why, why people, you know, initially when the policy was going in effect, people were making fun of, especially for hockey. It's like, Oh, you know, you, you do what you can to help the organization and, and all that crap. But there, there is something to be said for building relationships and rapport with players so that when you start to hear things and when you start mm-hmm. to kind of in your mind, assess and analyze things about the team, there is something to be said for having, you know, people on the inside from the player perspective that can give credence to it, whether it's on or off the record, that goes a long way as you're trying to put together a story or as you're, yeah. you know, trying to craft the, you know, your overall macro concept opinion of, of what's going on with the, with the team. And so, you know, that part you have to hope at some point is going to come back. And obviously it's going to be one of the last things that's going to come back you know, if and when sports returns to, you know, back to to what we've always expected it to be and wanted it to be. But, you know, the the idea here of, um, you know, what um, the media availability was looking like, especially at the end there, the last couple of games that Anthony and I were at where the guys were at a table and, and lined up, I mean, it kind of sucks. I mean, there there's so much that you're missing out on by virtue of not being able to talk to those guys on the side. Travis Konechny told us on on Snow the Goalie, uh, Scott Lawton has said the same thing, that uh, even Dale Weiss, who you know effectively doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, those guys have all admitted that you're more likely to give a, a legitimate quote and to put legitimate thought and to be, be more relaxed talking to a reporter on the side than you are you know in front of all the cameras and surrounded by 20, 30 people. So you're missing out on that. And as a fan, you, you miss out on that kind of honesty, whether you see it on the camera, you know, the way that NBC sports Philly covers these games or not, like you're still missing out on a lot. 
and you know it's obviously yeah. one of the the lowest concerns now for the fan as much as you know <laughs> as much as everybody just wants to get the sport back period you know you guys uh record and snow the goalie after this yeah oh, okay well why don't we just rifle through a bunch of eagle stuff then i'll let, then I'll let you guys get to it <laughs> all right sounds good um god i guess malcolm jenkins would be the starting point right uh, I mean, when I see the money that he signed for in New Orleans, it makes it just seem to me like it's another Brian Dawkins situation. You know, did they just think he was too old and they were like, we're just moving on no matter what the money is? I felt like it was a little bit different, though. Uh, and, and maybe it's because of, of age here. But like when when Dawkins was playing, I felt like most of my fandom uh, like his tenure here was most of my my fandom or whatever, and mm-hmm. and that parting parting ways with him just felt wrong by virtue of 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 him being here for so long. The the Malcolm Jenkins thing, like, could it come back to bite the team? Yeah, I, I guess so. But it there, I, I guess there is a part of me that wonders if we have seen the best days of Malcolm Jenkins, and if at some point for that money. You know, are are you able to go out and and get two safeties? And and in fact, I I guess you could make the argument that the team did go out and get safety help, and, and maybe that ends up kind of making up for his loss. You know, sometimes you have to, you know, avoid being sentimental when it comes to a player, and you and you cut bait, you know, because you think that they've reached their best days. I mean, it's the argument that's been going on in New England and in Boston since Tom Brady left to go to the Bucks. It's you know, Bill Belichick, love him or hate him, has always been the guy who, you know, moves on from players two years before anybody else would. And in the case of Brady, like, you know, you have to you have to decide, is there any real return on investment based on what the market has dictated the guy is worth? And in Malcolm Jenkins case, like, I don't know, is he worth eight million a year? Is he worth potentially 12 or 13 million with with escalators and with incentives? I, I don't think he is. I don't think so there was much. Dro- is, I mean, this drop off that I keep reading about. Well, Malcolm Jenkins dropped off. Well, I mean, you would drop off too if you were playing every single snap on a team where half sure. of your teammates were injured. You know, like I mean, he was trying to fill every gap he could and trying to plug every hole he could. I mean, of course, you know, when you log that much mileage and you're just try- trying to hold things together, glue things together, like of course anybody's going to play that way. But I don't know. I, I you, you, yeah, you got good points there. I, I don't. I don't necessarily have a problem with the notion of moving on from Malcolm Jenkins. But my cons- my problem is how are you replacing Malcolm Jalen Jenkins? Jalen Mills. And that's and what the what the Eagles have done to me is been that that's where I have a that's where I look at it and say, you know what, you you did this guy wrong. Because replacing him with Jalen Mills and what's the guy they got from Denver? Will Parks. Yeah. I mean, you know, these two guys are going to be your new safeties, and Parks is probably that third safety, and that sometimes they go with three safety d- defensive back setup yeah. or whatever they yeah, do. Yeah, playing dime. Um, yeah. yeah, but it's part of their dime package. Um, that to me doesn't look like oh, that's a, that's a upgrade. That just looks like all right. We just wanted to move on from this guy, and we'll fill in with you know these smaller parts. That don't maybe that mm-hmm. don't equal up to him, mm-hmm. but you know, hey, that's what we're gonna do. So that to, that's where I have an issue with it. If you if you were replacing Malcolm Jenkins with like a legit, 
player who's a couple years younger, whatever, blah, 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 you made a trade or, you know, signed a free agent. Okay, I'm cool with that. That's fine. But don't don't replace a guy saying, well, he's losing a step, and you're replacing him with, you know, uh, replacement-level players, man. Yeah. All right, I, so, so I don't counter see to it. that, counter to that would be when Malcolm Jenkins was signed, and, and this is obviously stretching it a lot, but when Malcolm Jenkins was signed, who was the guy everybody wanted? Jarius Bird. And oh, yeah. people were people were, you know, deadpanning the Jenkins signing. I'm not saying that that Parks is gonna be a, a really good safety. I'm not saying that he's gonna be a starting caliber safety on this team. Maybe he will be. Like maybe he really will impress out of camp. And maybe for a guy who's only started fifteen of sixty two career games, maybe the idea of coming home and, and supposedly taking less money to play at home and have a legitimate, you know, shot at starting, maybe being that kind of hungry player and returning to your hometown team, like maybe there's something to be said for that. Yeah, and maybe this second, guy somehow, you know, takes yeah. the unheralded route and uh, ends up playing solid for them. Here's where I here's where I'll I'll take you take that take you to task on that. He was on a radio show this morning. He was on WIP. Um, with with Angelo and his mother, as a matter of fact, was on the show a little bit later, and they both talked about this. And they both talked. I mean, and the mom even said, "You know that you know, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's great that he wanted to come home and all, but it's always you know, you know what it's all about for these players. It's all about the money." She said it. So I mean, the Eagles obviously offered him probably you know the best deal combined with the fact that he's going to get an opportunity to play. Maybe somebody else offered him a little bit more money, but maybe not a guarantee of as much time. But here's the thing. He only signed a one-year deal. So if this kid comes out and has a great year, yeah, the Eagles will try to re-sign him and hope that, oh, he's from Philly, maybe he'll stay here. But if he has a if he has that kind of year that you're talking about, guess what? There's going to be other teams out there who are going to throw money at him and maybe have a better salary cap situation than the Eagles. And, and they may lose him. So is your replacement for Malcolm Jenkins a guy who's only going to play for one year? Jalen Mills is on a one-year deal too, right, if I'm not mistaken. Both of them. Yeah, I mean, Jalen Mills, though, I think is is really on an ultimate prove-it kind of contract because but, he, but he yes, couldn't – well, I'm you just saying because no, he, he couldn't cut it at corner. You have nothing beyond so this year, though. Well, There's I mean, no guarantee beyond this season. Are, are we sure that they're not going to try to address safety later in the draft? Are we sure that there there's not a <laughs> they guy? They may. I, I'm but just saying. so many like, other needs. Yeah, you you replace you address safety with two players in the off season. You sign. Are there two no guys. safeties available next off season? I, Russ, maybe. But the, but the what I'm trying to say to you is this: if you addressed your that the safety position with two free agents, it's unlikely that you're going to use a draft pick to also address that position when you have so many other positions of need. They may. I mean, I could be wrong, and they may go with a, with a you know another young kid somewhere along the line, and they think that could be a you know a, a starter down the down the road. Who knows? But the fact is, is that if if you're looking at this team and saying, okay, we made this big push, push, we won the division, we got into the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera, we're we're still a playoff caliber team. You're taking a step back there. That this is a step back because it's not not only are you have you weakened yourself at the position on paper. But you've also not guaranteed that you'll have the players that you have in place beyond this upcoming season. I think you weaken the position doing that. So let me throw out three names right now that are free agents next uh, next offseason that could be of note. Now, I don't know. Maybe one of these guys has signed a, a contract since. Maybe. I don't know. Justin Simmons, who's Parks' former uh, 
teammate in Denver, in theory, is going to be a free agent next year. Buda Baker from the Arizona Cardinals had 104 tackles as a safety last season. Will be available. Xavier Woods from the Cowboys will be available. Um, obviously, like, you know, Buda Baker might be the, the most interesting of those guys, but it does look like there are going to be some decent safeties available. Um, I think it will be Simmons and Baker are the, are the top two by far. But I, I think you could try to make the case that maybe they look for a patchwork season and, and maybe they either buy low on a guy who maybe gets hurt this year or maybe they do go to make the, a splash and they, they just look at it as, hey, it's, it's a year out. I don't know. I find it funny that you're the guy defending Howie Roseman. Institutional Listen, arrogance. There has been institutional <laughs> arrogance on other things. What happened to that? I just, it's a thing. It still exists. Yeah, Coming but... up with the idea that, that, that Hopkins wasn't worth it, that's institutional arrogance. The only way that it's not is if they trade up in the draft to get one of these dynamic receivers in the first round, which is, which is why I'm thinking – they didn't make the Hopkins move, and obviously the Stefan Diggs package was far in excess of what anybody would have expected Minnesota would have gotten for him. So I've got to think that the idea here is trade up in the draft because I, I think that's also part of why, and I don't know how to say the guy's name because I don't care about the Jacksonville Jaguars, but Yannick. Uh, Yannick. Ngakwe. Ngakwe. Yeah. Like, I've got to think that if the rumor is true that, that Jacksonville is looking for a first-round pick, Howie Roseman's not going to play that game if the idea here all along has been to trade up in the draft and, and get a, a young dynamic receiver to grow with Carson Wentz. Although that said, would you guys make that move? If if that's what it would cost you to get a legitimate uh, disruptor on the defensive line to go with Javon Hargraves, like is that a move that you make? Well, Do you fortify uh, that front seven so that you – don't need to have a stud at safety. I wrote. It's funny because I wrote in Hargraves as a joke on the um, the notes here, and you read it as Hargraves. <laughs> Did I really? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> the joke was going to be how many people call radio, call sports radio, and call him Javon Hargraves this year instead of Hargrave. It's like Chase it's Chase Daniels and Alshon Jeffries. Um. I don't know. I, I I'm not good at like draft theoreticals and stuff like that. I find the Hargrave signing interesting though, because uh, I want to read you a tweet that's from August from a guy who writes about the Steelers, and this is like prophetic. Okay, this is what he wrote. This guy's name is Nick Faribault. He wrote, "It's pretty simple why the Steelers might not be able to get Javon Hargrave back, and it's not because they don't have the cap. Uh, they they do." Uh, the issue is that he's a natural 4-3, 3-tech, that will get paid so much more by a 4-3 team than a 3-4 team to be a nose tackle. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened here. It, it, the funny thing, too, is that, like, you know, and I mean, like, you and, and Russ, even, I mean, you probably, nose tackles were different, too, when you were younger. It's like we used to think of nose tackles as being, like, Vince like Casey, Casey Hampton and yeah, and Vince Wilfork and like Haloti uh, Nada when he was playing ten mm-hmm. years ago with the Ravens or whatever. Like, like all those guys played at like three hundred twenty pounds and they were like six foot three and they just like played zero technique right above the center and they would just occupy as much space as possible, right? And they were just supposed to like devour space and occupy two blockers at the same time. But it's interesting. I mean, like in all these teams now, like you say, the Steelers are a three, four base. They run it like a hybrid, a ton of four man fronts. You know, the Eagles are a four, three defense. 
as a base, but they play for they play base probably like twenty five percent of the game. They sit in nickel for seventy five percent of the game. So it's kind of like a misnomer to call anybody anything these days. You know, I mean, like the modern nose tackle. Not a lot of teams are playing like a true three four the way that we knew a three four defense growing up. Um, so it's interesting to see that the Eagles take a guy who was playing like all over the place, but was a nose tackle originally. That's like technically what he was, and they're playing him as a three technique over the guards guards outside shoulder and they're going to play him and Fletcher Cox next to each other I just I just found that prophetic how that how that worked out but doesn't I mean that always kind of goes to show like what the Eagles want to do defensively you know they want to invest in the pass rush and uh, in the defensive line and leave the corners on a island and let them try to deal with it you know and uh, I think they've always just kind of I, I don't I don't want to say they've devalued the defensive backfield but they just feel like they can kind of get get by with what they have i don't i don't think it's like if you, if you gave me howie roseman in storage closet b during the chip kelly years and you know he was reinventing you know his priorities for the eagles i think defensive line would be number one uh, i think you know defensive backfield would probably be somewhere down the down the line too it's just never really anything that they've put a a, a ton of effort into i guess if that's fair did you have a reaction to the rumor that they were shopping rasul douglas i didn't even given hear the that. fact that Oh, okay. No, I didn't was, even know uh, that. I mean, was, like, what was, kind of value? That was it? over the weekend. Over the weekend, it came out that that they might have been looking to move on from Rasul Douglas, which yeah. to me seems kind of silly because you you could use all the cornerback depth you have, especially since you've now opted to move Jalen Mills, who, if if nothing else, was going to be what your maybe third, fourth corner to safety. Obviously, you upgraded yeah. massively yeah. with Darius Slay, but like you would think that you would want to keep as many of the vets as you can. I don't think Rasul Douglas is a terrible cornerback. No, he's just he's not that not fast. that you want to build a defense around. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he's a West Virginia guy. So when I watched him at school, you know, we, we played like a really weird defense at West Virginia. It's like a three, three, five stack. So you play, it's kind of like hybrid front. You use like what, you, what they call like a spur safety or like a bandit safety. Who's kind of like more like what Malcolm Jenkins was last year, where they kind of like get down and play linebacker. They play on the line or you have these like weird, three four looking front so you have an outside linebacker come down and blitz off the end and make it look like a four three but rasul we played like heavy zone in the big 12 so like i always wondered how rasul douglas would be when he came to the nfl because nobody plays fucking three three five in the nfl you know um he's got good like ball hawking instincts that he can get up and defend passes he's just not very fast you know so like you put him on the outside on an island and you know I don't, i'm not sure that's why i always thought he would be decent as a like a strong safety because uh, if you play him as like a Rodney McLeod, like a free safety, I don't think he has the speed to kind of like move across the field side to side. But I don't know. It's interesting. I think he's got. I think he's a skilled player. I just don't really know what his best fit is. Like what team would make the most sense for him? I guess Anthony has no thoughts on poor Rasul Douglas. Um, what about Darius Slay? I mean, so they go out and he's the number one corner. He's coming off of coming off Pro Bowl year. You know. I mean, I think about the guys that he was playing against last year in the NFC North. You know, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Adam, Adam Thielen, Thielen, you know, Allen Robinson, right? So, uh, not, not bad competition. No, no. So, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, and it's pro football focus. I think, I think is where the source of a lot of that, of where that narrative was coming from. I guess they didn't grade him very highly this year or something like that, but. Yeah. Uh, he seemed like the dude, you know, when all the shit came out about Matt Patricia the next day or the next two days or whatever, I mean, it just sort of screamed to me like, okay, here's a guy who could use a change of scenery. But I don't know. I mean, like, is he, 
I don't know. The Eagles always seem to have adventures with these free agent cornerback signings. I mean, you're you're either Asante Samuel or you're Byron Maxwell, you know, or Nandi. Yeah, so I don't know. It, it really has uh, gone against the the Eagles a lot more than it's gone for them when they make these kind of acquisitions. That's true. Yeah, you do kind of get these like these with like PTSD when it comes to that kind of thing, you know. So. Uh, I'm interested. Uh, what else we got here on the list? Oh, Nick, F- well, Nick Foles so, is a bear. So let me ask you this really quickly. Nick though. Foles so is would, a bear. Well, hold on. Where oh. where did you fall? Where did you fall on Slay? Would would you have preferred giving up the money that they gave up for Slay, uh, which made him what the highest paid corner mm-hmm. right over over two years, and the draft picks, or and obviously it didn't work out because Byron Jones didn't want to play here, but. Would you have gone for the guy who was two years younger, but you would have had to guarantee more money over more years for, but didn't have to pay the picks for? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think they probably looked at him as an individual and said, okay, he's he has a good matchup history against Amari Cooper. Okay, so they probably felt good about that. Um, okay. Who's Washington? Who's the who are the Washington Redskins throwing at you? McLaurin. I mean, can you can you name another Redskins receiver at this point? Um, New York. You know, I mean, are you afraid of their number one receiver? I think they probably looked at him and said, okay, this is a guy who Jim Schwartz knows. He he was there during Jim Schwartz's last year. His rookie year was Jim Schwartz's last year. They're probably familiar with him. Felt like the matchups were okay. Probably looked at the NFC North and said, you know, he's had a rough go against those guys. He'll probably be okay in the NFC East. I don't know. I mean, I, I just kind of I, – I thought it was a move that made sense. You know, they came in with ten draft picks or whatever, so you give up a couple. Now you have eight. I mean, how he can't draft a can't draft cornerbacks anyway. So I think you're probably better better going down this road, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Nick Foles, Chicago an, Bear. What do you think? Yeah. Woo. Nick Foles versus Tom Brady in the NFC Championship game. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Stop. The Bucks and the. Stop. Bucks and the Bears. Jeez, ESPN. Listen, mil- you ESPN can have bad opinions, that, but this they? is the, this would be an all-time <laughs> bad take out of you. <laughs> it's not a take. I'm not predicting it. Just say it'll be, yeah, it'll be fun. I don't. I just have a feeling that Nick isn't going to be very successful there. I mean, his 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 skill no. players they are not very good. I mean, he's got Allen Robinson's a really good player. Um, Anthony Miller is like his number two. There, you know, his number two receiver. I mean, you got Tariq Cohen who will catch some stuff out of the backfield for you, but David Montgomery is just a straightforward like. Uh, you know, put your head down and run right into a bunch of dudes kind of running back. I, I don't think they're very dynamic. You know. Um, unless they, if you're Nick Foles at this point, are you happy that you pocketed the tens of millions of guaranteed money, but had to go through the Jacksonville experience and now you're going to have to go rot in Chicago or would you just rather ride off into the sunset after the Super Bowl? Do you think he has like even the, the slightest thought that that would have been the time to just hang it up at this point? <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting to say, cause you want to, there's part of you, I think that wants to prove to other people that you can be the guy, be the number one guy and not just the backup who came in and had a flash in the pan season and won it all. You know, I think he wanted to prove again that 27 and two is not really a fluke and that he is, he can be a good player. You know, it's just crazy how you seem to thrive in certain schemes or under certain coaches or in certain places. And then has looked like a completely different person elsewhere. But you know, his Jacksonville tenure is kind of incomplete if you think about it, because you know, he got injured. Minshew comes in with this dumbass mustache and plays well. And then Nick comes back and he's healthy and, you know, his kind of struggles. I mean, like the situation just always seemed like it was kind of, he was kind of up against it, you know, but, uh, I don't know. It's interesting to see the narrative evolve now. You see some of the, the Folsey in society is kind of like withering a little bit because of he's been cut and traded and, or I'm, I'm sorry, you know, benched and traded and whatever. So 
it does change narratives that f- formed two years ago or three years ago. But I hope he's successful. I don't, you know, I think that's a, that's a tough ass division though, man. I mean, like Detroit's getting a little bit better. The Packers are good. The Vikings are really good. So Godspeed, man. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to get to your uh, 50 hot takes? Oh yeah. You know, we did this, uh, we did a f- special guest version of the, 50 hot takes column because I was like you know I've done five of these already I do like 50 takes for each one so I've come up with 250 takes I really do not have any more takes to to share with anybody so I'm like why don't we get a bunch of our like uh, media friends and contacts and colleagues and try to get them involved with this so I did 50 hot takes from uh, people from like WIP and 97.3 and Philly Voice and whatever Um, Deuces Rogers had some there absolutely fire uh, from Action News he he, I DM'd him I was like hey Deuces you want to participate in this thing he's like yeah sure I was like all right give me a hot take and he sent me seven he sent me seven hot takes (laughs) so um, here's his first take he says high fives after made free throws are dumb and high fives after missed free throws are dumber I agree. That's a thing. That's just kind of like a weird NBA quirk. Uh, he says rappers should be the only ones to refer to themselves in the third person. <laughs> Athletes should not. <laughs> Unless you're The Rock. I would say The Rock can do it. The Rock says. The Rock says this. Uh, his third take is bring back the bullpen cart. Oh, I love the bullpen cart. <laughs> I love that take. Uh, his next take is uh, don't kill the onside kick. I agree. The onside kick's exciting, man. I just the reason I don't like it is because it's just like low percent. Like, how many times does it actually work? You know. That's why you need to go to the uh, the, XFL the XFL kickoff rules. Deuces, uh, take number five. He says barbecue sauce is better than ketchup in every situation: hot dogs, burgers, fries, etc. <laughs> I don't like either one of them, so I can't really comment on that. He says Netflix peaked two years ago. That's not true. <laughs> and he says. There, well, I mean, it, it, it the depends. reason the reason I I'll, I'll I'll agree with him on this. Two years ago, really, Netflix was 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 really the the streaming platform, right? I mean, you didn't have. I mean, the other options were in existence, but weren't anything even close to what Netflix was. Now, you know, there are other streaming platforms That's that true. are as good as Netflix. Some yeah. would argue some are even better. So okay, I, I, I can I can I can get on board with that. What what stacks up right now? Like Prime does not stack up, in my opinion. So what, why do you say that? Because Prime one on the movie side has always been kind of questionable. They're they're they um, have everything. You some of them you just have to pay for. Well, th- but that's the problem is if I'm gonna subscribe, why do I want to pay additional money for another movie? Like I I look at what's included. Well, why do you, but why do you subscribe to Prime? Do you subscribe to Prime for the for the TV it's access? The, or you subscribe it's for the to Prime for the free shipping. It's for the two day delivery. Oh, there, that, there you go. But I'm just saying, like I I can't I can't say that like they have a ton of original programming that also get me excited. Like I think Netflix has kind of cornered the market now on on food TV, which I quite enjoy. My wife enjoys. Um, and I think like they've they've really made every effort to corner the stand up comedy market. Um, so I, I would say that they've kind of diversified, whereas like a, a couple of years ago, like what was the big thing It was House of Cards. And it felt like that was their their prime uh, or like their their number one thing. I thought they were maybe a little bit top heavy at that point. And I think they've done a good job of diversifying. They might not have that one stone cold lead pipe lock that makes you want to go subscribe to them, but I think the sum of their parts at this point is still 
quite valuable. Deuces's final take was uh, that uh, that watching a game on TV is infinitely better than attending in person, which I think I would agree. Yeah. But I think we're kind of it's it's hard for us to say that without bias because um, we're we're always down at the games anyway, you know. I I I've always felt that to be honest with you, I you know yeah there are certain games you you really want to go to, and you want to be there in person to experience. But in general, like your regular season games. Are better on TV. The only the only sport I think maybe you can get away with saying no to that is baseball, because there's you know there's just so much more to just kind of being out in the summer, just kind of relaxing, having a couple beers, watching a game with some friends. I mean, yeah, you can do that at home too, but it's kind of a cool environment to do it. You know, yeah. in, in the summer. But I, I agree for sure. I'd much rather watch hockey, basketball, and football on television than actually be down. In person, tell you what, it was uh, for the most part. It was nice to go down to. Uh, I went down to a Flyers game pre-coronavirus uh, with my dad. Uh, just and we sat up in the Revolutionary Row up there, where the new uh, the uh, assembly room is, or whatever the hell it's called. And uh, it was yeah. fun, man. It was great to go down because you know every time we go, we go down to the Wells Fargo Center, well, like forty sometimes a year, and it's you know we're working and we're watching the game, we're taking notes and interviewing dudes and stuff like that. So it was great to go down and just like act like a fan again and you know have that just that normal experience it was great man the flyers crowd was great they were back out they were mucking and grinding they got some fucking jam in the building you know um <laughs> it was just a great experience man they really did it like comcast uh, did a really good job with that assembly room up there um it's like really spaced out the seats are great you know the people are who are in the standing room or the, the 25 dollar tickets or whatever they're just sort of hanging above you like you know um watching watching down from above you um it was a really cool experience, man. It was just something different. Like, nice to be able to get up and walk around and do that kind of stuff so you're not just sort of, like, stuck in a seat with a bunch of people, you know? So uh, maybe that's how they start things off again. Maybe they just open the assembly room uh, post-coronavirus and let maybe 15 people in there and space them out, and we do social distancing. Yeah. Hey, you know, one thing we didn't really get to, unless you guys talked about this when my mic cut out, um, at the beginning, in which case, then at Russ, you can just edit this. Um, did, I refuse to the, edit anything. <laughs> did we talk about the? Uh, did you guys talk about the uh, New York Times story about um, all the employees of the Sixers and Devils no. are now going no, to pay no, cuts? No, no, because that had uh, yeah, I just saw that. Um, yeah, like like thirty minutes ago or whatever. See, that doesn't make any sense yeah. to me. I don't know why they would do that well, because they already came out and they said that they were going to pay the Prudential Center people. And they were going to pay their employees at the Wells Fargo Center, like they they well, don't. Here, let's give yeah, some context. Yeah, because okay, so, so Mark, yeah, back it Mar up to the Mark Stein. Do you have do you have it? Do you have it? I have it pulled up. Well, here, let me explain this while you pull it up. So a couple weeks, like two weeks ago or last week or whatever, Josh Harris and David Blitzer they own the Prudential Center, so they said we're going to pay our Prudential Center employees during the shutdown. Right. Same thing with the Sixers part-time staffers who work Sixers game nights, okay? That's not the same as the people who, like, are the ushers and the ticket takers and stuff like that because they work for Comcast, you know, because the Sixers are just a tenant there. The people who are employed by Comcast Spectacor, they will be taken care of by Comcast Spectacor. The only people that I could not contact, I didn't hear back from, were, Arab, was, were the Aramark people. Like, are you going to pay your, you know, food people and your concourse workers and stuff like that? I have no clue. Um, so, yeah, they were... they had agreed to pay those people, which leads you into the Stein tweet 
Yeah, so there's a, a series of them here. Uh, Sixers and Devils at will employees were informed today that temporary salary reductions of up to 20% will be instituted for employees making more than $50,000 starting April 15th through the end of June. Uh, contracted employees, such as members of the Sixers coaching staff and front office, have also been asked to participate in the program, but cannot be forced to do so, according to a person briefed on the situation who is not authorized to discuss it publicly. There was a follow-up to that that said executives such as Sixers GM Elton Brand, Devils President Jake Reynolds, Sixers President Chris Heck, and Harrison Blitzer Sports and Entertainment CEO Scott O'Neill have agreed to participate in the program, according to the person. <laughs> Sixers and Devils consider this a temporary measure aimed at avoiding layoffs, and according to the person, have not reduced any health or 401k benefits of the uh, for the team's employees. It was not immediately known if any of the other NBA teams have instituted a similar program. Um, yeah, that was it. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I don't know why you would go through the you know put the release out and then tell us that you know you're going to pay your people at the Wells Fargo Center, the Prudential Center, and build that goodwill with with the community just to then go like flush it down the toilet by doing something like this you know i mean like josh harris and david blitzer are worth like billions of dollars right this is like a drop in the bucket for them i mean like i I don't does anybody like you know advise these guys on like what public perception looks like or did they just not give a flying fuck because it's not a lot of money for them at all you know and this is this is a time when everybody is kind of asked to step up to the plate and just kind of like be a decent like human being and try to help out you know I think and not only f- that, and not only okay. that, think about the, the, where their cutoff is coming. They're affecting full-time employees who make $50,000 a year. That's not a lot of no. money. And you're, you're going to take away, t- um, uh, what is it, was it 10% for, for their f- 15% for That's them, 20. 20% for somebody making 70000 a year? Even that, even, even taking yeah. 20% away from 70000 I mean, that's, that's a lot of money for these people. To you know, to to suddenly not have, even if it's only for a couple of months, especially. And what makes it worse is that it's this isn't like some small mom and pop company. This is a multi-billion-dollar corporation mm-hmm. that jo- that 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 Joshua Harris owns. That's yeah. Bad, I mean, if you're like, you know, that's if you're it, if you're really serving bad. up. Uh, <clears throat> you know, tacos at Loco Pez in Fishtown or something like that. And they, you know, they have to like tell you to take a couple of weeks off because they can't pay their servers or whatever the hell. Okay. That, that makes a lot more sense than like a multi-billion dollar, like, you know, yeah. Private equity f- firm that owns a basketball and prudential center and ice hockey team and all this other crap. It just looks, it just looks bad. You know, I mean, and people, that's the stuff that people remember too. You know, people, people yeah. hang on to those things and especially, you know, not to make it political or whatever, but it all kind of is a little political. But, you know, especially when you have a lot of people in this time, this day and age, who are looking at billionaires a certain way and are looking at everybody else a certain way, you know. And I mean, anytime you have a chance to build goodwill, you do it, you know. And then they go and they shit on their own goodwill by doing something like this a week later. So, I don't know. It just doesn't make right. well, sense. Well, I have one that's even worse it, for you. Do, you. do you want an ahead. even worse one? So the Boston Bruins, who are apparently shamed into this publicly by the Massachusetts uh, Attorney General... It came out on the 21st. The Bruins put out a tweet because, of course, Boston would be the city to F this up. The Jacobs family has announced a fund for part-time game day associates of the Bruins in TD Garden. Hooray! Everyone rejoices. Except, this is how it read. The Jacobs family has established a $1.5 million fund for the Boston Bruins and TD Garden part-time game day associates who will be financially burdened 
if the six remaining regular season Bruins games are not played. We thank our associates for their patience and understanding while we work through the complexity of this unprecedented situation. So they're not uh, apparently going to do anything in terms of compensating their workers until it's revealed whether or not those six final games will or will not be played, which means there is no immediate relief for those people. And in fact, like this is going to likely linger for a few more months. So not only were they one of the last or the last because it's them and, and the Buffalo Sabres in the NHL, uh, they were the last two NHL teams to get in on any of this, but they also put this BS provision about if the final six uh, regular season games are not played. Well, I think that's even worse than what, what Harris and, and Blitzer have done. Well, you know, it's the common denominators with all these people. You know, I found it when I worked at Channel 3, you know, the big wigs that worked there who were in charge and stuff like that is that a lot of them – a lot of these people just see numbers and they see assets and they see things as expendable and replaceable and stuff like that. And nobody ever understands the fact that if you put a little time into your employees and make it seem like you give a shit about them, that that will be reciprocated. You know, if you make it seem like you care about them and that this is a place where they should want to work, then they will work harder for you and you'll get more out of them and you'll have a better product and a better environment. You know, like Channel 3 never understood that at all. You know, they would just say, okay, you have to do this and then you have to do this and blah, blah, blah. And like nobody ever felt like they were wanted or needed. So they would just put forth a shit effort and you had a shit, you know, morale there. You know, you put a little bit into your employees, they'll give a lot back to you, you know. So I don't know. It just seems strange that they would go, you know, above and beyond to kind of do this Prudential Center thing and the Wells Fargo Center thing and take care of those people only to turn around and stiff the at-will employees, you know? That's that's the part that doesn't make any sense to me. It's like just incongruent. It's not congruent with what they just did a week and a half ago. Yep. All right, that's all I have to say. <laughs> Man, I should probably... The billionaires you know, of this country not paying their workers is a disgrace and I'm hopeful that Joe is going to do a job uh, here in the next few months of burning down the billionaire class. Hey, by the way, you should, Russ, by the way, you should make, make a, a quick note. I mean, at the beginning of the show, Bob was on the show with us. <laughs> and yet no point did you mention that he had a drop off. Uh, just he had something come up at, at home and uh, not, not an emergency. But uh, anyway, he had <laughs> that we know of. Yeah, right. We yeah, just picked it up and I just started talking. As if yeah, like yeah it was like... No, I, I'm pretty not. sure that Bob ended up saying one thing as we had to splice in the audio because Anthony dropped off in the yeah. first attempted recording. This is good. Yeah. You know, so there, anyway, there is something to be said to for we, missing we the, the, the comfy confines of the uh, 610 ESPN studio. Well, it's but not, I think this is just... It's not fun. how you start, it's how you finish. Yeah. That's I know right. Bob had things That's to say. We didn't address the We didn't address the uh, 610 thing on this show. Uh, so we could we could touch on that really quickly. Uh, does anybody want to? Is, is you're it asking us to start? Anybody else? I'm asking. Do you want me to do it? Or you well, you're kind of to? the guy. This is like you're kind of the, the okay. Yeah. So we we had a uh, a fun time with our friends over at 610 ESPN, especially our good pal Ryan Lennox, who was a uh, lovely producer for us. Uh, but a, a I guess what a month and a half ago at this point. Um, the 610 ESPN station had Tim Halloran suddenly passed away. Very tragic. Left behind a, a wife and I believe three daughters. Um, and so at, at some point in the aftermath of that, Beasley Media decided that they were going to put on hold any shows that they had to pay their hosts. 
many of the shows that air on 610, I think almost all of them, are shows that people paid Beasley to be on the air for. We were the, I guess, exception to the rule. There might have been one other show uh, like us where Beasley actually paid us to be on the air. Um, so we were informed that uh, this show and Snow the Goalie, and I guess by virtue of all that crossed up, would all be on hold uh, until a new station head was hired at 610 ESPN, and then we would, I guess, reevaluate the situation. Uh, I don't know if they've made a hire, um, but I'm I'm A-OK with going the podcast route uh, at this point, and especially since uh, there are no sports right now, I kind of... I don't know. I think I, I might have missed Kevin's F-bombs. Yeah. I just feel like I can... By, by the way, I don't, I don't, I don't mean you, to be like corny or like make it sound forced. It just kind of comes out that way. We, we are... Our stuff is still on their website for what it's worth. So who well, knows? I mean, maybe we are still out. We are still kind of I mean, we, affiliated we, in some We're way. like tangentially, I guess, you know... I, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but uh, 610 ESPN is actually the sister station of 97.5 The Fanatic, so you better make sure that you don't say anything about any of the uh, on-air hosts or their lack of knowledge of things, or you might start a Twitter Who? a Twitter war. You know, that was swell. One of my favorite all-time interactions. There's some good sub-tweeting going that, on there. That was, that was like, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? God. Yeah. The, the world was a simpler place where you could just call out a drive-time radio show for not knowing a damn thing about a team that was on the best run in, in a decade. And now we have the coronavirus. So uh, thanks, COVID-19. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that's it. Yeah, nothing to add. You guys said it all. Um, just so people know, because if you've uh, stuck with us here, this is about an hour and a half show, I think. Uh, which Lengthy. I think people... I think people will be fine with that, though, because uh, most people now are working from home. Uh, if you're a contractor, if you're out there working with your hands, I think you have until the end of the week before uh, Tom Wolf's um, thing goes into effect. So you're going to need stuff to listen to during the day. Otherwise, you're going to have to pay attention to your kids. Um, so I think people are going to be OK with the, the long episode here. We are uh, working on potentially next week live streaming the show. Um, through the Crossing Broad channels over on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube Live. So even though there are no games on TV, you could always get in on, on the action here and uh, interact with us live the same way that people were able to do that when uh, Anthony and I do the, the Press Row show before Flyers games and during intermissions. So um, let us know on, on Twitter uh, if you'd be interested in such a thing. But I think we're going to do it next week because it's, uh, I don't know, should be fun, right? I think it'll be fun. Um, I guess that's it. Make sure you follow us over on Twitter at, uh, well, we got at Ant San Philly at Kevin underscore Kincaid. Of course, I'm at joy on broad. Bob is at Bob Wankel CB. And there's even a beautiful little Twitter account. The, the Twitter account that could, uh, for this show at crossing B cast. And we also have a uh, Facebook page, which is, uh, crossing broadcast so make sure you go check those out leave a five-star review if you uh are so inclined over on apple podcasts and uh until next week unless there's uh, some kind of pressing urgent news i'm russ thanks for listening we'll talk to you again next week